RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. I mean, that's the beauty of insurance that I've found. Uh, I had never for one instance in business that you could work for one organization and come into contact with so many different areas of public policy. And insurance does that. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC. And in each episode, I'm joined by a guest and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week we have Seth Williams, and we're going to discuss the work of the Association of British Insurers, known as the ABI. Seth joined the ABI in 2012 from the train operator Eurostar, and he has more than 20 years experience in politics and public affairs. In his distant past, he was a professional musician, and he was, until recently, a trustee of a couple of music charities. However, Seth's day job is as head of external affairs for the ABI, and he's also the de facto deputy to the director of corporate affairs and climate change. As such, he's perfectly placed to talk about the work of the ABI, which is what we're going to discuss today. So, Seth, welcome to the podcast. Great. Thanks for having me. And um, I always ask everyone, but what was it that brought you into the world of insurance? I guess the answer is politics in a way. I mean, my route to working for Eurostar was based on six years working in and around Westminster and experience of politics and, and sort of managing those political relationships. Uh, and that was the route into um, the ABI as well. You know, they wanted someone to come up and head that, their public affairs work. So you can only but think to yourself, well, this is a really interesting challenge. It's public affairs in the, in the financial services space, specifically in an area I know nothing about, insurance. And it wasn't until I started working in insurance that I realised and working for the ABI, clearly, that um, you know, insurers are heavily invested in all sorts of ways in the world of pensions too. So it's it's a, a very very rich tapestry of, of issues. Okay, well, let, let, let's start at the beginning with a nice easy question for you, which is, what is the Association of British Insurers? So, we are the leading trade body for insurance underwriters. We comprise over 200 member companies and that covers all areas of insurance from those areas which will be familiar to you and me as customers of insurance, motorhome, through to pensions and long-term savings, health and protection and we have a number of London market members as well or members who work in the London market and as a membership trade body our role is really there to be the voice of the industry and to pursue an ongoing dialogue, if you like, with government, with politicians, with regulators, and to ensure that the views of the industry are part of the necessary process of getting to the right outcomes on policy and regulation and ensuring that that voice is there and that the industry's position is well known. Okay, so um, you said that you liaise with regulators, so you have no regulatory responsibility or anything like that? No, we're not a regulator. No, we're not a regulator. No, exactly. So it's just a trade body for insurers. And you mentioned the London market as well. How do you overlap with Lloyd's? So on a lot of issues, we'll work quite closely with them, uh, whether that's sort of technical or reputational political. And you know, a number of our members will undertake business in the Lloyd's market as well. We've got a good and established relationship when it comes to sort of jointly addressing the challenges, I think, that present to the industry and that the industry can play a role in tackling for government, for society at large. I think you know, my view would be 
what I've learned certainly over the, the decade or so working in insurance is that you know, the sort of social motivation for insurance that's really where it all started back uh, in the coffee houses of London, if you like, is something that's still very, very strong in, in a lot of the insurance industry. And I think, you know, Lloyd's a very established institution. The Association of British Insurers represents large part of the industry. And I think together, the two organisations have, have a lot of work to do together. When I was doing my research for this, um, I was surprised to discover that the ABI had only formed in, in 1985. I'd always assumed it was had been around for 100 years or more. So, I mean, the, do you know the background behind its creation at all? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think I think that's right. I think both of those things are right, actually. I think it definitely was only formed in 1985, but sort of the origins of it do go back longer than that. I think you've got a number of constituent parts that came together in 1985, and they were the Associated Life Officers of Scotland, I think, was one. Um, the Industrial Life Officers Association was another uh, the Life Officers Association, the British Insurance Association, the Fire Officers Committee, the Accident Officers Association, they came together as one body with the intent that actually you'd have a stronger voice from collectively if you put all those bodies together. And I think constituent parts, so for example, I think the British Insurance Association was founded in 1917. And I think the Life Officers Association was founded back in the 1880s. So the history does go back to the 19th century quite what they were all doing in those days and how it measures up to what we're doing these days I, i'm not sure but uh and we've got one colleague who was around at the beginning what 1880 <laughs> <laughs> well i don't think you'd thank me for saying that no um 1985 ah that one okay <laughs> and what i mean you've already started to touch upon it but, but what, what is the abi's role now i think I really tried to encapsulate this with that phrase about being the voice of the industry. There are a number of clearly huge and overarching challenges for us as a society, which insurance can, should, does and will continue to play a role in, whether that's climate change or whether that's things like social care or whether that is things on the pension side or, or improving experiences for consumers on the retail side. And Clearly, insurance is an integral part of doing business every day. And the, the ABI's continued role is to ensure that the framework of regulation and policy within which all those individual member companies do their business or deal with customers or work with governments is as conducive to good outcomes as possible. And, you know, we are there to talk up and talk for the industry, you know, and, and, and that can mean many things it can mean dialogue with regulators it can mean convening the industry with government convening the industry with different parts of the industry and it can mean actually standing up and saying no what you're saying in the press is absolutely wrong and this is why it's wrong and, and reputationally defending the industry when needed and uh, how does it sit alongside something like the, the chartered insurance institute you say that you work alongside other bodies is that and for example the, the lloyd's market association are those the sorts of bodies that you would work alongside? Definitely. On, yeah, I mean, it depends what the issues are, I suppose. And, and we'll all have slightly different perspectives on some of these things. And in some cases, we're going to be working on very technical things where we've got colleagues who will work on the policy specifics from a technical perspective, working, you know, you mentioned the Lloyd's Market Association, maybe working with them on a certain area of policy or a certain part of the regulatory environment. Or there may be overarching reputational things, take sort of diversity and inclusion, for example. You know, 
the ABI is doing a lot of work on that. The Chartered Insurance Institute is doing a lot of work on that. It's a really important integral part of, and should be for all parts of society, but certainly it's for the insurance long-term saving industry. How you get to a place where the customers that are served by insurance are served by an industry that looks like those customers and acts like those customers and feels like those customers. Mm. You've mentioned that you have uh, around 200 members, so insurance companies. Could you give us some facts and figures around the insurance sector in, in the UK? Sure. The strength and the attraction in many senses for the wider stakeholders of the industry and the reason why it's so important, I think, to the economy is that it employs over, I think, 310 odd thousand jobs in the UK. That from a taxpayer perspective, we contribute around 16, 16 billion a year, I think it is. And then I think in terms of the investment power, I think we've got assets in the region of 1.7 trillion. So it's, you know, we're a really integral part of the economy. When you sort of face people with those kind of figures, you know, plus the fact that, you know, as an industry, we contribute, I think it's now over 30 billion a year. And that's a figure that comes from the ONS in terms of contribution to the economy. These are big numbers and it's, they're impressive numbers. And it's, it's it kind of reflects on how important the industry is really. They are big numbers, and, and particularly that one about the, the 1.7 trillion pounds, which is available for investment. It's also, you rattle off trillion. And, um, but I heard on another podcast recently that someone explain it in the following terms. So, yeah, a thousand seconds takes us back 16 minutes. A million seconds will take us back 11.5 days. A billion seconds takes us back 31.7 years. And a trillion seconds takes us back 31,000 years. So you know, another way of thinking about it, you know, if, if I was given a million pounds every day since the birth of Jesus to today, I still wouldn't be anywhere near a trillion. It would be kind of a three quarters of a trillion or there or thereabouts. So I, I mean, when we're talking 1.7 trillion, it is an, an astronomically large figure. The interesting thing about what you've just done there is break it down in a way. And that, that is the crux of it is that, now, frankly, once you get above a million pounds, people find that really difficult to imagine in terms of scale. So you, you need to be able to sort of quantify what does that mean then? You know, what does what does one point seven trillion get you? And quite a lot is the answer. Before we talk about some meteor subjects, just a, a quick one: How is the ABI funded? I mean, very largely, predominantly, we're funded through member fees. So our members pay us a fee on an annual basis. And we do have a bit of commercial income as well from some of our conferences. So we've got our main membership and we've got some associate members as well. And another quick question before we move on. Uh, what's, what's your own role? You, your title is Head of External Affairs. What is a Head of External Affairs? So essentially, my role is responsible for overseeing our relationships with government, with parliament, politicians, uh, and a fair bit on the strategic communication side. So how we say what we say, when we say it. So, you know, strongly working with colleagues who work in our press teams, uh, running a public affairs team, colleagues who liaise with parliamentarians, you know, discussions with government ministers' offices, with the officials, with special advisors. It's really kind of in the thick of it with the politics. Is, is most of my day job. When you say in the thick of it, is that a reference to the TV programme or? Well, I mean, so maybe, that's, maybe that's a Freudian slip because it, it does feel a bit like uh, in the thick <laughs> of it in politics at the moment. You're quite right. But uh, yeah, I know. I mean, clearly, you know, in terms of the discussions and liaison with governments, there's quite a lot of that goes on between 
the ABI and different departments. I mean, that's the beauty of insurance that I've found. I had never for one instance envisaged that you could work for one organisation and come into contact with so many different areas of public policy. And insurance does that. I mean, because you can get insurance for pretty much every area of life, you know, you'll find that there's a contingent policy area and set of policy challenges sitting behind that. And they're eventually occasionally issues crop up and dialogue is required with government or you get letters as we do from politicians mps you've got complaints from constituents or queries from constituents and you ultimately need some kind of infrastructure around that and somebody to be responsible for that and that's ultimately why i do the this is slightly off on a tangent but um and i hope you forgive me for asking but you mentioned earlier on that you sort of started out in in kind of westminster or whatever were you ever tempted to become a politician yourself um, yes, I think I was actually at one point. It might have gone down a different track. When I was applying for this job, I was also in a process to become a special advisor and the latter one didn't work out. And I thank my lucky stars because I, I suspect I wouldn't be quite as happily married now if I'd, uh, got, uh, if I'd gone down that route. Because it is, you know, as old, anyone who's worked in politics will know, certainly at that level can be ultimately all-consuming. But uh, I think, you know, I'm, I'm well clear of it. And I think it would... Uh, take an awful lot to tempt me down that road <laughs> um it's all change at the abi at the moment hugh evans who's been director general for ooh, i don't know how many years but he's retired or well retired from the abi moved on from the abi and he's being replaced by hannah gerger in fact by the time this goes out she will probably will will be in place um that will presumably usher in various changes at the, the abi and as such this this might be a difficult question to answer but but what do you see, and we'll put climate change to one side at the moment, because I'll come back to climate change, but what, what do you see as sort of the, the two or three main areas of focus for the ABI in the next year or so, I'd say? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So Hugh's gone off um, and left uh, the ABI to work, joined KPMG, I think, and the next Director General joins next week. Very exciting time for us. And I think clearly, you know, at a, at a time of change like that, when you've got new leadership as a membership organisation, part of the focus for the ABI is going to be establishing those links between the new leadership and member companies. That's inevitable uh, and enabling that new director general to get up to speed with all of that. So that's, you know, that's more of a, that's more of an inward facing, but it's worth saying. And then clearly, obviously, from an insurance perspective, there's a review of Solvency 2 going on. So I think the future regulatory framework and the review of Solvency 2 are really important. Uh, critical, I think. We've seen from January this year the rollout of new rules around how general insurance is priced, and that is another massive area of focus for us, the focus on good consumer outcomes, GI pricing. And I think continued modernisation of the pension system is another. I think, you know, 10 years, I think, later this year, anniversary of um, automatic enrolment that has gone fast. Um, and I think the development of pensions dashboards and how people access their pensions and are enabled and supported in making decisions for later life saving, those are really important too. And I think one other I'd point to, and we could talk about many things, but just trying to keep this fairly high level. I think one other thing I'd point to is post-pandemic, clearly one of the things we've learned over the last 18 months, two years, is that there are going to be times when it's really, really difficult for the insurance market to cover everything and the government is going to have to step in. And I think developing how we best work with government for future events is going to take up some time at some point. Uh, I don't think we're quite there yet, but that's going to be another area of focus going forward. 
And then there are other areas, you know, like continue, we touched on earlier, continued focus on ensuring that the industry is as diverse and inclusive as it needs to be, both for the sake of the people that work in the industry and the customers that it serves. Exactly. So, I, I mean, how, I, I suppose, before we go on to climate change, just a practical thing is, how do you go about it? Do you send out questionnaires to your membership or, or how do you consult with your membership? So we are committee driven in terms of our policymaking, in terms of our liaison with the membership. So we have the board of the ABI, board committee of the ABI, and then below the board committee sit a number of board committees, long-term savings, general insurance committee, prudential financial taxation committee. And then there are a series of technical working groups underneath that. We'll look at different areas, um, whether that's cyber or pets or whether that's travel whether that's social care or whether that's retirement income, there are a whole plethora of technical working groups which will develop policy positions in response to long-standing challenges or initiatives from government. And through that structure, we then, you know, we develop the positions which we will then use ourselves and feed into government to the regulators. We're finally there now. Climate change. <laughs> I mean, it goes without saying that the biggest challenge that we face over the next kind of few decades. Yeah. What what role does the ABI play, and I suppose what role does insurance play in the fight against climate change, in, in our transition to net zero? Well, I think from our perspective, clearly we have a strong role as convening body and pulling all the different parts of the industry together to face the challenges is where we've started. We put together a roadmap last year, climate change roadmap, which has got, essentially it's got four pillars to it. One is meeting net zero by 2050. One is how you better unleash the investment capacity of the industry. We touched on some of those big numbers earlier. Um, how the industry itself can ensure that it's got operations which are very sustainable and how you help society adapt. And sort of to touch on each of those separately, one is clearly we've got an industry which has got huge investment power. And we think with some of the tweaks that are coming down the track, hopefully with Solvency 2, we can actually unlock a lot more capital to be spent on those assets, which will enable that transition to net zero. So, you know, whether that's investing less in mines, for example, and investing more in wind farms and making those kind of investments more attractive and doing more of them. I think, you know, we've got a huge amount of investment power and getting the right framework in place to enable that investment power to play its full potential role, I think is, is absolutely key. When it comes to the operations of our members, ensuring that actually the businesses themselves are aiming for net zero and that the operations of their suppliers in the supply chain, similarly, I think, you know, those are absolutely key. And on the helping society adapt aspect of it, I think clearly we're a touch point for consumers and the way in which cars are repaired in future as you know as we transition away from diesel and petrol cars and to electric vehicles how those cars are improved or how homes are improved after a flood for example the kind of resilience measures all these aspects i think are integral to our role to help as a society us hit net zero frankly mm. a couple of times you've mentioned solvency too there linked with in investments what is the link there is it that the current financial regulatory situation makes it difficult for insurers to, to invest i mean i think that's basically i mean so you know one of the key features of solvency too and i, and I won't get drawn into the names here but it basically 
does put a quite tight wrapper around the kind of assets that you can invest in. And that's understandable to an extent because you know you 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 want to be able to invest in those assets where there is a long history of reliable data. But as you know, technology changes, assets change, and certainly as we head towards a an ever more friendly climate environment and you need infrastructure which is evolving technology, then you need to be able to invest in in new assets. And I think the review of Solvency 2 provides an opportunity for that framework to be updated and for that suite of eligible assets to be widened. Mm, Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. I wasn't really fully aware of that. So that's very helpful. And presumably you work alongside your European equivalents and global equivalents in other countries when discussing these issues. Sure. I mean, I think you know, there are clearly, obviously, um, ongoing relationships with, with our sister bodies around the world. And we have a, an ongoing working relationship with Insurance Europe, for example. And it's clearly very different to the relationship we used to have in the sense that we're no longer members of the European Union. But, you know, there are many equivalent trade bodies in countries around the world. And it's an important part of the work that we do to stay across the developing issues in those countries and where there are overlaps and points of interest and learnings to be had. I was on a call this afternoon and we had a colleague who's based in the US dial in and offer to sort of give us some insight into some of the issues they're dealing with, which are similar. So that that's really kind of an important part of our work as well, sort of being able to swap notes with colleagues in other countries. Do you think that the politicians have a genuine understanding of the importance of insurance and how it plays a role in society? I think it's an improved understanding, um, but I, I don't think it's anywhere near as good as we want it to be. And I think it's that is a constant challenge. And I think you know most people's contact with their insurance is not every day. It's when they renew or, for example, you know, they're approaching retirements when they're thinking about pension decisions. And I, I think the vast majority of politicians experience insurance in two ways. One as a customer, and one as the receiver of constituency post about their own experiences. And we end up, as the ABI, sometimes dealing with some of that. And then there's a third level, I suppose, which is if you're a minister in government and you come across knotty policy issues, which have got an insurance angle to it, you experience it in that way too. But I think generally, I think it has improved. You know, a number of us have worked hard over the last 10 years to, to make that so. And it's been clear, certainly, to me that there's real potential for insurance to work in a really healthy fashion with government. If you think about Flood Re, which was established four or five years ago to ensure that people in high-risk flood areas can have affordable access to flood insurance, you know, that's been a resounding success. And that's through partnership between industry and government. It's brilliant that you have a, uh, through the ABI, you have a, you know, a voice at the top table, um, if one wants to put it in those terms. And it's, it's really you know, comforting to hear that the insurer's perspective and the insurance world's perspective is being put forward within Westminster. But yeah, thank you. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it's, you know, I absolutely think it's a fine, as I said before, I'd never really considered the role of a trade body before working for the ABI. But having that convening power and the ability to act as a voice and the permission to act as a voice for the industry I think it's a really valuable part of dialogue between any industry. It happens to be that I work in insurance and long-term savings world and government. Because if you're government, I think it's also important that they engage with individual firms. But if you want a, an industry view on something, you know, it's a deeply inefficient way 
talking to sort of 200 plus companies and then sort of putting in a spreadsheet and telling up you you definitely need to cut through and if a trade body is doing its job well and putting evidence-based policy making across effectively then it's serving its members well brilliant and um I suppose as, as a very final comment, what bit of advice would you give to someone who is thinking about a career in insurance? Let's say someone who is currently working for Eurostar and has an interest in politics. Um, is, is insurance something that you'd recommend to them? Uh, it absolutely is. I'd say do it, 100% do it. But be prepared to get your head round sort of a dizzying array of acronyms. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is one of the standout features of insurance is that insurers do love an acronym, uh, whether it's the ABI, the CII, IFOA, um, IFB, IFED, you know, <laughs> um, LMG, LMA, IUA, you know, the, um, BIBA, in the <laughs> Lieber, it's where do we stop? Where do we start? Um, but no, listen, it's a great, it's a great industry, and I think the overwhelming thing I'd say is the people that you meet in insurance are really, really good people, and they are really in it for the right reasons. Um, and that's you know similar to politics in a way. People often say to me, you know, are politicians all rotten? And I say, no, the vast majority of them are in it for the right reasons. And I think you know, insurance is full of really interesting people. Brilliant. Seth, that was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.